before the cameras were rolling, um, for weeks, every time that I've tried to ask Aaron what was going to be our subject for the week, Aaron's been like, I don't know, man, it's your podcast. And then when I, I said, well, let's talk about this, Aaron was like, nah, that, nobody wants to hear that. Oh, contraire, mon frere. I Let know me people, ask. I know people want to hear it. They want to hear the fucking drama right. and the dirt. Oh, for sure. Yeah, dude. It is. It is. The, the point in contest, in, in contest here is, is a special forces ODA and by proxy, this softly podcast or team room, however you look at it, similar to Mean Girls. I would say unequivocally yes. I've never been on an ODA, so I can't say. Yeah, it's it's literally but, it's literally you can't sit with us, and on Fridays we wear pink. I get it, man. I mean, <laughs> listen the my my experience uh, from the outside. Of looking at uh, you know like the team room environment, but you guys are like that in in the brokerage world too, right? Like it's like yeah, yeah, people yeah. who are cool, no. people who are not cool. Uh, it was more just everyone was not cool with each other. I mean, <laughs> everybody every, hated each everyone other. Everyone hated each other and, equally. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, uh, I mean, certainly some people were more hated than others. Um, however, like I, the dude that never wore a shirt and just drank a lot of vodka. Yeah, well, I I think that's one of the other similarities is that you have a bunch of guys that are. In some ways, like hyper masculine, but they're actually Masking? more homoerotic than oh. they are. But is the homoeroticism a mask for, like, is it a way of expressing your emotions? Like, it's frowned upon to tell someone how much they really mean to you, but it's totally okay to be like, I would take you in my mouth and hold you until you are complete. Even though it is overtly gay, so, it's less gay than being like, hey man, I wanted to tell you that last week I was feeling very sad about a lot of things that were happening in my life. And when you reached out and stroked my hair, it made me feel like a real person and a warmth spread over my body that is not sexual, but made me feel in a way towards you that I have not felt towards another man since my father. I don't know. I think <laughs> I think it's less of an emotional <laughs> empathy type of thing than it is more of like a sexual dominance weird type of thing so you think that given the opportunity a man who flirts with another man in a homoerotic fashion would actually fuck him to exert to exert dominance i don't know if you would actually fuck him but what i'm saying is like i mean in prison it would like, probably happen for, for example um going up behind another guy and grabbing him and pretending to butt fuck him like that has never happened in his office it's definitely happened on the trading desk a number of times <laughs> I mean, that isn't, I cannot see that as anything other than expressing dominance, um, trying to make another man look foolish. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's like, there was, uh, yeah, well, a number of times that someone would ladies, like, that's how I fuck, literally <laughs> box, box jump up onto the desk so that the person on the other side had to look at his while they're on their phone could see them like <laughs> pretending to jerk off in their face. The level um, of maturity in your workplace never ceases to amaze me. <laughs> Best it, stories ever. It definitely was about as low as you possibly could get. Um, I would love to say that things like that don't happen in SF. Um, I feel like they become <laughs> they become more refined as we get older. Like people still do things like that, but it's respectful, you know. Like I think things are changing, like everywhere. Um, you know, one of the things that I think you see happening in the trading world, and this has been going on for 10 years or more, is that 20, 30 years ago, the guys that were traders, trader, trading wasn't like a sexy profession, uh, even maybe like 30, 40, 50 years ago. Is it now because um, of billions or? I think it's, it. yeah, I mean, I think that the 80s and 90s kind of made it more more of a sexier thing. Gordon Gecko. Uh, yeah, exactly. Fair enough. Um you know the the Wall Street era, but before then, I mean, if you went back to the you know the trading desks in the eighties, like early eighties, a lot of those guys like didn't have college degrees. You know, they were like dudes from the neighborhood. Um, you know, guys in Chicago. You didn't have that. Like, the, a, I mean, these dudes. What licenses do you have to have? Like Series Seven and what else? Depends on what you trade. Okay, but so, I mean, like, were guys just getting those things without having gone to and college? It, also de it depends on who you work for. So if you were just an independent trader on the trading floor, you didn't need any of the series licenses. No shit. Yeah. Really? Um, really, it's because you weren't dealing with other people's money, right? So as so, an independent trader, you can't manage other people's money? Correct. Now, if you wanted to manage other people's money, 
um, you could become like a CTA, commodity trading advisor, or start like a hedge fund or something like that. And in, in that case, then yes, now you have to start getting licenses. The other thing is with managing other people's money, I'm sure you've heard the term like accredited investor. Uh, I have not heard that term. All right. So there's a, a basically a classification for investors, and the there are a number of things that you can go through. Um, and it's not like you get a stamp from the government. Basically, it's on it, the onus is on the person collecting money from someone else to verify them as being accredited or not. So I have, I have a million dollars hypothetically, and I call investor, Charles Schwab. Uh, this isn't a, necessarily a Charles Schwab thing. Uh, it, it, so who do I call? It might be. How so, do I become an accredited investor? <laughs> just by that's having, what I was getting by having money. So you either have a million dollars cash, yep. liquid liquid cash net worth. Hypothetically, let's just say I have a thousand dollars in a in a briefcase that I got. Million dollars in a yep. brief. Well, I mean, yeah. a large briefcase. Sure. Or you make two hundred thousand dollars or more a year for the last, I think, three years. And basically, the it, it, this is a very loose thing. You don't get like a fucking card or a badge or something like that. Um, Sounds less cool now, <laughs> but. <laughs> There is a level of uh, basically, you know, deal flow that is not available to unaccredited investors because what the government says is like, hey, if you're an accredited investor, you have enough money that theoretically speaking, you should be able to keep yourself out of some trouble. So this dude can't ruin you. Like, well, it's more that like you should be able to make more informed decisions than maybe like this the average person right I, i'm not saying it's true but our government makes a lot of poor decisions my point is that but it's good, a lot of the restrictions yeah. that are on uh like investment managers from like or not on an accredited investor mom and pop not on people that run money for accredited investors got it so for example uh you know like a real estate commercial real estate deal or something like that uh it there are lots of like filings and registrations, you know, like if that were to go out to everyone, that deal would have to be like registered with the SEC in, in a different way that would that would prove to them that like I am not out to steal mom and pop Jones America retirement money. Uh, so as that, opposed to like a guy who solicits millions of dollars to build a wall. And I'm not even talking about the president. You're talking about the, the GoFundMe thing? <laughs> yeah, the GoFundMe deal where the dude, he has built a section of wall now. Yeah, I mean, that's... Mission uh, accomplished. I don't know. I don't know legally how that he, stuff's structured. He should spend I more money to rent that's... an aircraft carrier and have a mission accomplished banner come down that's, behind him. That's not structured as an investment. <laughs> no, 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 no for like, sure. It's but more of a purchase, right? I feel like that guy has to be like legally liable for the fact that he collected, what, $10 million and has not spent it on what he said he would spend it on i don't know i mean there's all kinds of weird shit going on in there you see the people didn't know there was a wall in his heart between himself and mexico yeah, already they spent six million dollars building three quarters of miles somewhere in new mexico on private land i saw I that mean, it's whatever man i i don't even pay attention to that shit anymore four million dollars uh, richer baby <laughs> administrative costs <laughs> exactly man um, i burned six million it's like the brewster's millions where he's like i took 10 million of your dollars i spent six million on renting the mets right <laughs> they are a disappointment to all of us dude great fucking movie man it was a great movie um also man Richard Pryor had a bunch of good movies. Yeah, Richard Pryor was amazing. The Moving. toy, moving. The toy is awesome. The toy is like I. I don't it's, even feel like you could watch that anymore dude, without feeling filthy. N- watch it. I mean, let alone like I, someone was talking to me the other day. Not the other day, but in, let's say within the last couple of years. Yeah, they should remake the toy. I'm like, dude, they would never. You could not remake the toy now. Dude, I cannot. Uh-uh, I cannot man. shake my head emphatically it's enough like right fucking now. Fucking modern slavery. No, no, it's, it's, uh, it's impossible. No, no, no. It's. I mean, Richard Pryor is a really funny guy. Moving is one of my favorite movies. Richard Pryor was and, a very funny guy. Dude, moving. <laughs> moving was awesome. Dana Carvey was amazing. Uh, How but, did those guys? So people who were so funny at one point. You know what I mean? Like you know who never got unfunny was. Um, Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks is always funny. Bill Murray. For, uh, Bill Murray is still really fucking funny, man. Yeah. He also has become He's, a campy version of himself, like much like um, Bruce Campbell. Have you seen the documentary like, about him? No, no, no. It is good. fucking amazing. I feel like he has definitely learned how to, like he's played to his own fame in a way that has made him kind Dude, of like a legend he status. Is, he is like a fucking Buddhist monk. I will say that. If in you, real if, life? No. 
in in the sense that like he has found a zen place and he owns his fame it does not control him in any way shape or form i'm not sure it ever did gungala gunga baby totally man but i'm saying you hear from you know you hear all interviews with all these like famous people about how fame has yeah made their life worse their lives in ways where they can't go out in public or it's hard to do certain things Dude, Bill Murray has has turned that tide. He'll just go to Hibachi and Grill and take pictures table. with people. Yeah, man, he don't just, care. He just fucking owns it. You got to watch the documentary. It's not. I will. It's not the. What is it called? Do you the know? Film itself. I don't know. Yeah, but, I'll look it I up. Mean, is it like on Netflix or something? Or I, I, I you don't know, know either. It's You're a real Netflix, help. iTunes, have Amazon. Phone. <laughs> it's it's on either Netflix, it's iTunes, on a or streaming Amazon. service where I can watch it. Fair exactly. enough. I, and it's a good enough answer. It's for not me. that long. The movie itself is not that amazing, but Bill Murray's story is so cool that it's worth watching. And you know what? I'm glad that when I start to talk about something, there's a general rule, you give me the exception. But I would like to point out that like Dana Carvey and fucking Eddie Murphy and a myriad of very funny people from the 80s became bit actors who were not funny anymore. You know, they they get old. I don't know if it's like they stop. They're not fucking humorous anymore. No, no, no. Like Adam Sandler. Holy shit. Roll back che- to the tapes. Chevy Chase. The go- oh, God damn it. He was hilarious. Yeah. He's a fucking idiot now. Dan Aykroyd. Did he get bad? He's bad. What, I mean, is he still in movies? I don't know. I don't now either. he's just, I hear he's a huge asshole. Really? And he's just talking that like tequila or whatever he owns. I didn't know but that he did that either. I, he was I, good in Gross Point Blank. Yes. Is that a popular movie in like the soft world? I, I don't think that it's popular in the soft world. I think it was popular in my like I was into kitschy movies yeah. for a while, so like I watched it before. I believe I watched Gross Point Blank around the time that I discovered. Um, um, damn it! What's the movie about Xenia, Ohio? That is unwatchable. Mm-hmm. It's from the director of Kids. Oh, I know what you're talking about. It was gummo. Like a, yeah, Gummo. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I can't. I can't make enough faces about Gummo. It's like it literally hits on every mm. skeevy and uncomfortable theme in America in one inbred Ohio movie. I only watched Kids once, and I—I I didn't think Kids was a bad movie. I didn't think it was bad, but I didn't think it was like as amazing. As... I thought it was a good movie that was groundbreaking on a on a limited budget. I think it was it broke into like dialogue heavy kind of like relational stuff, but like yeah, it was also it's kind of dry. What's the movie? The heroin one. Uh, midnight something. I did not see that. I think it was with uh. Anyway, it's like the saddest movie I've ever seen. Oh. Uh, even sadder than Twenty One Grams. Which I didn't think that was that sad. Twenty One Grams. No. Dude, I watched that shit and I basically you cry. Just I didn't cry, but I was. There's like, nothing wrong with crying. I, I any movie that paints a strong relationship between the son and his father, you can guarantee that I'm gonna just be like a weeping mess. There'll be a box of I'm tissues not next I w- to me. I, w- I won't cry at movies. Read it that all you want. <laughs> That movie just made me really sad, uh, um, like like deep within my soul sad. Nick and I were talking about <clears throat> things that make us sad-ish What's this the, morning because we were talking about Chernobyl right. on HBO, which I think we may have talked about in the podcast before, but now I'm like four episodes deep and I cannot watch more than one episode at a time. Have you, have you watched this yet? Nah, everyone says I need to watch it, but that it's super sad. Nick said, I, I'm not sure sad is the right thing. It's super uncomfortable. Um, it's difficult to watch, and Nick's point about it actually made a ton of sense, which was he said it's a real-life horror movie. Like, it is, it's not playing on your fears of things you know can't happen. It's literally displaying for you the worst case of something that can, and we all grew up with it. Not maybe everybody that's listening to this, but, like, if you were born, like, 78 through 84, or your entire childhood was dominated by like Three Mile Island and and Chernobyl and you know things of that nature where we were villainizing clean power just for, for a variety of pretty legitimate reasons. Now that watching the Chernobyl thing, I'm like, oh, like you know, 400 kilometers from the scene of the meltdown, someone opens their window at a nuclear research plant and their Geiger meters going off like crazy, and they're like, who had a meltdown? And you're going. This makes everything seem far more meaningful, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think My Own Private Idaho is the movie that I was uh, thinking about. My Own Private Idaho? Yeah. It's it? about heroin? Yeah. Um, 
Am I thinking? Maybe I'm thinking of the wrong. I'm not telling maybe. you you're wrong. I'm just I have not seen it. Yeah, and you said back. it's super sad. Yeah, it, I feel like I'm, that is a sad movie. But I'm maybe thinking. Do about we? So, <laughs> what drives the desire to watch a movie about someone literally destroying their life with drugs? I don't know, man. Or anything I, for that matter. Uh, Basketball Diaries was also very sad. Did that uh, make that's us? That's about heroin. That's got Leonardo DiCaprio in it. Yes. Uh, I liked the movie where he was the video game player and he went nuts and like he was on the island. Midnight Cowboy. That's what I'm fucking thinking did of. Did not see that. Oh, no, no, I did no. That's hear not it. what I'm thinking of. Requiem for a Dream. I didn't see that either, but Dude, I have heard about it and I am not going to watch it. That movie is me, like one of the most fucked up movies I think I've seen. Um, it really. I don't like movies that make me feel dirty. Like that was the thing with Gummo, right? Is I was watching Gummo and I was like, oh, like they just, it's oppressive. You feel like you want to just bathe in bleach the whole time. You're like every new scene is so repulsive and it, it breaks your mind in a way that's something, but you're like, oh, and it's not like, oh, that person's eyeball popped and it's gruesome. It's not uh. like some like, you know, what's the dude that did, um, all the horror movies, Eli, whatever, Eli oh, Roth. Eli Roth. Yeah, yeah, it's not like an Eli Roth thing where you're like, oh, man, that's That's like saw, right? I mean, it's just like fucking- Ugh. It makes your fun. skin crawl, but it doesn't like touch your soul, per se. Torture porn. Yeah, it's like bad, but- it's yeah. Like when my wife's like, I could never watch these execution videos of people being executed, and I'm like, well, watch a hundred of them. Watch some in real life. You're like, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think the psych, I'm with you, man. The psychological stuff is like way more- Watching um, people that I genuinely feel are lost, like they don't necessarily know any better. They haven't been given a moral compass. They don't have an environment that's like redeeming. Just engage in sophist behavior that is like a coping mechanism for complete and total absence of anything in their lives is like, I, I makes me long for the taste of gunmetal in my mouth. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. this movie makes me want to suck start a 45 so bad. Dude, that's a uh, 21 grams afterwards. I was just like, I just want to like lie in bed and hope I don't wake up. Like I'm just super fucking sad. So the world is fucked. Everything is fucked. Nothing is good. I saw, man, this is going into a fucking dark place. I, I don't know why I'm thinking. About is this. it though? Like, I mean, like I hate, I, I'm, I think we should tell people to boycott these movies that fake sunshiny feelings are better than nothing at all. <laughs> I saw a trailer for, um, this German movie about this dude that was like keeping like a kid in his basement. The human right? centipede. No, no, no. It was, uh, it was like a drama movie. But it was about a guy that like had a fucking you know like a boy that was like locked up in his basement and fucking why huh why just a fucking prisoner thing did the you know, boy like, behave badly like like that movie The Room right um that although was, that was like an adult yeah but, you know same shit why do people lock people up in their basement or in a fucking shit for sexual gratification mostly but uh, I mean like, I don't think that's the reason that most people do it actually really I don't think it's like necessarily a fucking rape thing I mean. Seems like that's a pretty common theme, right? I think that's part of it, but uh, I don't think that that's all of it. I think it's way more of like some type of like control type thing. We should get a psychologist in here. I am. We should get Paul Benaviste back in here to talk about why people trap other people in basements. Well, dude, so. Do you think that this is something that has become more prevalent in modern era or just that because we have the internet? We now know that people do it, so we hear about it more often. I, yeah, I think it's way more that we know about it. I don't, you know, is it? Maybe it happens more because can you imagine being in like thirteenth century Europe and like someone uh, dug a hole in the ground and like shit happened. Hey, we just stuck this guy in this hole, dude. I'm sure that there's all kinds of shit that's happening right now and has happened. You know, like homeless people or like you know poor kids or whatever that like fucking disappear and no one gives a shit, right? So like. It's like those prostitute murders that yeah. are always like the subject of like we're like no one cared. Well, man, you're well, but it's not like wrong. No one finds a body even, right? Yeah. So it's like no one even knows that it happened or has happened. It, it, Was like, it the Long Island serial killer or whatever? Lisk. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So right before my son was born, I'd seen this trailer, and I was like, man, you know, like I fucking I don't know. Requiem like, for a Dream. No, no, the one, the German one. Oh, uh, oh. I think it was called like Michael or something like that. And I was like, I don't want to fucking watch this movie. I'm glad you um, didn't name your kid then. Right. That would be weird. Um, <laughs> but then I read this really long article about that was, I thought, a profile of this dude 
that worked for the FBI that was like an investigator of uh, basically like child child sex stuff. Can you imagine how fucked um, up that job would be? Dude, this was crazy. So they talked about how the guys that do it, they can only keep them on rotation for like 18 to 24 months before they start developing like severe PTSD type symptoms. I can't even right? imagine, man. Um, I would not, like, I, dude, I would... To have the power to do something extra legal in that environment and like know someone did it, it's like, do you ever watch Bosch? Uh, no, but so I like, have heard people it's say It's a really good show. I, I actually, it's not a good show, but I enjoy it. It is a compelling like detective noir thing yeah. in a modern era. The dude's a former SF guy, so there's always that angle, you know, like, yeah, go Bosch, cool. Also, the most recent season was a lot about like a guy who was convicted on planted evidence, but was definitely the serial killer, right? He's like, this is the guy that did it. Everybody knows it, but he's trying to get out of jail on a technicality that the cops eh, kind of knew about, right? Where it's like, yeah, we did this thing, but we knew, we knew he was the dude. And you're like, man, so like it's a travesty of justice, but uh, at the same time, like if I was a cop, I absolutely would be down that road where it's like, check it. I know this guy did this thing, but like, you know, at 30 years later, after that guy's been sitting in prison for 30 years and you find out that like this other guy's DNA convicted him and you just knew, like, I didn't like the look of that guy. The cut of his jib made me know he was the guy. And you're like, shit, time to second guess myself. Maybe. I mean, this is a whole other philosophical discussion, man. Yeah. But I mean, like, I'm just saying like child sex crimes. If I was in that, in that boat with FBI guys, like I would. I would be murdering people For and sure, I would man. be like covering it up and Dude. be like, don't mind me. I don't know. I'm the first FBI guy to ever not have PTSD for like six years of this. Why? Cause I'm murdering every dude that I think <laughs> did this. You know what I mean? Dude, this article went on to talk about, um, well part, it, it was this really long article. I should probably, I should find it. It was, it was an interesting read. We but can also, read it on the next bottom of the barrel podcast. So that it's like, no, it's it was a super not, long article. What a way to spend an hour. <laughs> just narrating <laughs> In this podcast. It's, this is not Mean Girls. This is Aaron reading to you with his dulcet yeshiva voice. I don't. I would not want to reread this article. Oh, um, that bad, dude. So it went on to talk about this case that this guy had fucking busted. There was this British dude living in Massachusetts that was British on, citizen or expat or I don't know if he was a U.S. citizen or not. He had an accent. Like, That's all that matters for the story. He had an accent. <laughs> He was from like Birmingham or something. Um, Birmingham. Don't sell Mark uh, Mark Mark Williams. He'll get all riled up. I'm pretty not, sure. That not he, Alabama. No, he's from Birmingham, UK. All right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, go ahead. He may have been from somewhere. I else. hope Mark's listening to this so that I can get like a hey, mate. <laughs> Doesn't really matter where he was from. He was living in Massachusetts, and this dude was uh, like really into like cannibalism. I don't know if he had. It was just like a fetish thing or if he like actually had partaken in it but he made an arrangement with some dude in florida that was going to kidnap a six-year-old boy and this guy was going to drive down to florida buy this kid from the dude in florida and bring him back to massachusetts they did and, all of this oh they communicated all this over the internet correct um Rookie move. <laughs> dude, so <clears throat> they busted this dude in Florida. I don't know if, like, the other guy had gotten the kid yet. I don't think that that guy had, like, gotten the kid yet. But when they went to the dude's house in Massachusetts, they found this, like, fucking dungeon in his basement, right? He had set up. And that he had set up. There was, like, a table in the middle that had a fucking child-sized coffin in it. All right, with speakers on the inside of the coffin that were like wired to like a microphone Stop setup. Stop it, dude! I'm telling, like, this guy and he had this detailed plan about how he was basically gonna like dismember and. and how much semen did they find all over this? All this over this because this dude clearly was jerking off while he was building all this shit, dude. I, I mean, it, it, if you can't see, if so, you're not, if you're not watching this on camera, I am making very uncomfortable faces right now. <laughs> It bothered me so much. It's going to bother me now. Thanks, Aaron. Way to I mean, pass on. Way to way to pass it on. Like knowing that there is a uh, like predator at that level out there, right? Wasn't, and, there, wasn't there a podcast recently about? Um, man, I feel like there's this thing about a guy who was a cop 
who is convicted of like killing his wife or something, who'd been involved in a lot of like like subgroups on like 4chan talking about like the cop was or yeah the, the was? cop was like talking about gruesome violence oh yeah against remember, women yeah. or whatever i feel like that's something that my wife like told a, me about a couple years ago yeah but dude this guy how like, g- when people are fantasizing about this, this guy stuff, went to prison right yeah how the fuck did the i mean so he didn't actually do anything yeah that, but are you saying that this how can that guy not be killed how can you justify that dude ever well was he convicted in florida or in massachusetts I think in Massachusetts. Massachusetts doesn't have a death penalty, do they? I'm, I'm not saying. Or you mean the I'm police should have killed him. The police should have just killed him. I'm saying how as a society can we allow people like that to continue to fucking breathe, well, I mean, breathe an, the same air? It's an argument, right? I mean, the whole John Wayne Gacy thing where he like wanted to be chemically castrated and somehow the system wouldn't let him. I mean, I think that the death penalty is complicated. You should have gone to see those guys in fucking North Carolina, man. <laughs> they were castrating people like <laughs> on the internet. I'm yeah. like, what the fuck? Like, people are weird, man. People Dude. are into some weird shit. Yeah. Um, but I, it's hard when the population split. So some people think that the death penalty is cool and some people definitely think that it's not. And institutionally, we're not set up in a way like when you read more about the death penalty and the, the hangups, like reasons guys stay on death row and definitely like what's certain states like I think Oklahoma and Texas. I'm just going to throw that out there. I do not have this as fact. Brian will probably backstop this <laughs> have run out of the only authorized like the company that made the only authorized lethal injection uh, I remember chemical is gone. Yeah. Like, there's no more of it. They don't have any they can use, so they have all these people that are just sitting on death row, and they don't exactly know how they're going to kill them. And, you know, like, in Oklahoma, good old Oklahoma, they're like, oh, we'll bring back the firing squad. And I'm like, cool. Seems like it might have some hiccups. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that might not be well-received by the general population. I think that that uh, would fall under current definition of cruel and unusual punishment i don't know i really don't i i don't know if that's true or not and i mean i think that um i believe that it would be successfully argued that that would be the case i generally think that when someone's been committed to the death penalty that there should be a series of cruel and unusual punishments that they go through (laughs) as a demonstration to the rest of other people that you probably don't want to do this I mean, this is uh, this goes to a, like a much more philosophical question about basically like justice, swift right? justice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but do I mean I I also recognize that there are two sides of that coin, are, where yeah. it's like, hey man, in the 21st century, we have discovered that unequivocally, there are a lot of people who've been convicted on on wrong evidence, on unmanipulated evidence. Um, you know, and <laughs> People, or even on no evidence. Yeah, people are released, you know? <laughs> I mean, like, the hard part is like, hey, maybe these people did do this stuff, you know? Like, the making a murderer thing, like, I I don't know who killed that nickel sheet reporter. I'm pretty sure that the one kid who confessed to having done it with his uncle, the kid who's, like, like a bunch of fries short of a Happy Meal, yeah. did not have something to do with it. The Brandon, whatever his name is, uh, Brandon... I saw both series at some point. I draw a total fucking brain fart here. But um, yeah, man, like that being said, after two seasons and reading a bunch of other backstory that was left out by the producers, like the producers of TV shows want you to feel a certain way about the story. They want yeah, you yeah. to like continue no, watching course, it. Man. Like this guy was wrongly convicted. Also, there's a lot of question marks there. You know, yeah. like. Did you see the one about the dude, the pizza guy that had the bomb chained around his neck? Or like collared I, around his neck? I did. I heard that was good too, but it's very short, know. wasn't it? I, I feel know. like it was a short thing. I do know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, it wasn't. It, blew, I don't think it, it was blew up like they made him strip down and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I remember. I I do remember watching that, but I don't remember the Adnan Syed thing is a pretty good example too, where it's like, I mean, did he or didn't he do it? I, there's a compelling argument to be made either way. Did you watch that HBO series, The Night of? That was I really did. good. Also, that was more. I, I mean, think that was fiction. Well, but. certainly, but it was it was very good, and I think mm-hmm. it was more saying it was a more commentary on the state of our penal system. One hundred percent. Where it's like, hey, man, even if someone isn't guilty of something, you spend a little bit of time in prison, that's gonna fuck your life up, bro. Really. You're you're gonna come out of prison a different person, dude. What about uh, fucking shot caller? 
awesome movie. Oh, that movie's so good. Awesome movie. I just like the fact that Jamie Lannister was totally redeemed. He really fucking looks like a, a fucking white supremacist in like, that movie. Prison guy. Yeah, but it, other... no, I'm saying, but like he does the slick back hair and mustache. Like, yep. Really well. Really well. <laughs> he really carries it. I'm not, and that's not uh, Jericho's doing that right now. An indictment. I think he's trying to get into shot collar too. I could see Jericho pulling the like the cholo move with the fucking oh dude for sure he's a, he is a top collar button kind of guy he's got a he's got a good mustache he so. does it's blonde creepy we need to uh, get him on a die living podcast to hear about his experience if he's willing to talk oh about of course it. he does he wants to talk about it he's writing a piece about it right now yeah. um, I yeah. mean I don't think there's any hangups for him in that. Uh, especially since he's like he's fully retired and everything. Yeah. Well, let's have him talk about it. We'll have I'm, I'm going to circle back yeah. to the uh, the original child sex crimes. No, past, oh. I don't want to talk about that shit, man. Mean Girls. After that, after mean somewhere girls. in between the two, we are going to talk about. I think we were talking about homoerotic stuff. Oh, and is or... it actually a manifestation? Is it a is it a power move or is it an expression of your true emotional self? Yeah, I don't know. I mean. It's hard to be open and tell someone that you care about them. Going back to the team room, I mean, what's it like? Oh, in the team room? I Dude, I mean, I guess it depends. Every team has a different dynamic, right? And I think that I've been lucky enough. Um, the first team that I was ever on was um, a broad span of ages. And I mm-hmm. think there were some older guys that were really mature and kind of removed. Not, not, not part of the team, but... Um, kind of above like above a lot of the other guys like antics and stuff and um i see that now at the time it just kind of felt like you know that's what was going to happen i think a lot of the teams on active duty right now are younger so i don't know what that looks like um my team in the guard is like really generally mature family guys i mean there's a few dudes without kids but like they get it um and i think that in general everyone pulls their weight and so people can be honest um about things i think it's also funny because probably the the biggest sensitive area on my oda is uh male pattern baldness there's a lot there's a lot of guys (laughs) experimenting with different kinds of like hair maintenance products and i'm always like (laughs) we tried the spray on a guy at work i'm like does this matter like because i mean like clearly it matters to them like they are talking about it in in team internal chats like man it's like this is working really well and i like it and i'm like it must be it is very nice for me who has a full head of hair in my like late 30s to be like like i just don't give a shit like i'm i am married if i end up having to shave my head i shave my head like i don't i don't care but also, I as someone who's graying early, I am I understand that there is some sort of identity in the color and thickness of one's hair. That when when the time comes, it's like ED doesn't matter to me until it does, <laughs> you know. And you're like, oh, it's fucking pushing rope, man. Like now, now I'm re- now it's a real problem. Now I need pills, and I got to go see a psychiatrist, and not me. But when it does happen, <laughs> but guys that yep, I know, right? when it does happen, uh, I have this feeling that it will be like a real panic moment where you're like, "Shit, what do I do about this? This is a really big deal." Yeah, hence why I think a lot of that is psychological. But um, in general, like I think that we can talk about a lot of that stuff, uh, team internal. Like when guys are going through relationship problems, um, everybody on my team in general is pretty open about the respect and uh, emotional support that they give and receive from other people on the team. Right. I don't think that that is exactly normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like most of us are a little older. You guys have a very woke ODA. Uh, I don't know if it's, I, I don't know if it's woke. I think self-aware in the sense that like, um, there is very little need for posturing. Certain people are yeah. really good at things and it's recognized. Other people are good at other things and it's recognized. Um, <sighs> I don't think that anyone, I think that a lot of the the posturing comes when people are uncertain of their place in a community, you know, where it's like, hey, uh, I need to prove that I'm better than that guy. So like we. Uh, of course. I mean, that's all grandstanding is ever, right? Yeah. It's, you beat your chest to show off to the other apes, right? And I think that like in our company, you'll see guys posturing with people from other teams mm-hmm. but very rarely team internal which right. is funny because our team is unified enough that like we just you know like 
I have never heard anyone pick on anybody on our team. Um, and I've never really heard wow. anybody on our team talk shit about anybody else other than like, you know, previous work experience with guys that didn't do a good job. And you're like, it's that simple. It's like, that guy did not do a very good job. <laughs> it's not like, yeah, man, smells like fish. No, dude, like he was lazy. He did not do his job. Maybe he'd be good at another job, but I am uncertain of that, <laughs> you know? Okay. But I think, uh, I think that it's important that we express emotion for each other. I think it's good that dudes tell other dudes that they love them. I don't think that love is like um, limited to um, a sexual thing, hand jobs, and the you know behind yeah. the local bar. You know, it's like this chick told me she loved me after I gave her twenty dollars, made me feel good inside for five minutes, and then I felt dirty as I was using a fucking wet wipe to clean myself up dude one of the best one of the best classes i took in college was uh taught by this guy professor riley who was tenured both at harvard and wisconsin we taught seems at, odd taught at harvard monday and tuesday and then wisconsin wednesday thursday and friday he flew back and forth every week and uh i would say he sounds wicked smart he was really but maybe not no he was fucking he was a fucking G man. He must really love Wisconsin. And yeah, I don't know why he was a Wisconsin, but cheese. He loves he cheese. Fucking love cheese, man. <laughs> and cheese in cold weather. Yeah, but uh, he has plenty of cold weather in Boston, so there's no need to like get it in Wisconsin. I took this class because I heard he was a really easy grader. Um, Not surprising either. And it was a higher level class. It was uh, kind of like overlap between graduate and undergraduate. It's like a seminar. So it was a 500 level class yeah, yeah. at Madison, which was like, you guys sit around in a circle and like you were expected to have read things beforehand. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it was, the class was called, Ju it was a philosophy class called justice as love and benevolence. And Jesus, it was really interesting, man. It's actually why I named my first dog Porsche after the, the car. No, <laughs> not after the car, after the Shakespeare character. So, uh, from the Merchant of Venice. Yep. But in any event, I feel like you would like having taken that class or would have liked taking that class. Explain. So, well, I'm just saying a lot of the things you're talking about right now are on the theories of love or the topics, yeah. you know, of love and justice. Love. So, and, I mean, <clears throat> is this because it's a slippery, like justice is a slippery slope? Yeah, I think so. I mean... I don't know. I don't want to get too deep into this. We can we can have this conversation another time. I, I probably need to prep for The it. best part but. about these kind of conversations on the bottom of the barrel is that everyone listening can assume that neither of us have a fucking idea what we're talking about. <laughs> and I'm meaning I'll, all of these emotions that I'm discussing right now, I only had these ideas like half a second before they poured out of my mouth. That's all right. Literally, if Brian were to provide subtitles for this entire podcast, mine would all say, Word vomit. <laughs> Just man. Um, I think it's good to be in touch with your emotions. Yeah, for sure, man. It makes, I it I think makes it's you hard. A happier, more calm person. Well, dude, I trust me. Um, it's a combination of things. You know, like getting diagnosed with ADHD late in life and getting Adderall. I would have told you that, like, using Adderall would have made me feel, um, you know, more focused more high energy. Mm -hmm. But what it did was it like reduced my anxiety about a lot of things I didn't even know I felt anxious about. You know, this whole like posturing, yeah. it's so ingrained from like the time we're in elementary school. Like, you know, like I'm gonna have to beat up a bigger kid. I'm gonna have to like, you know, impress this girl. I have to like constantly prove to people that I am something that I see myself as that no one else sees me as. I don't know that it's culturally ingrained. Really? Yeah. You don't think that the posturing is? I don't. You think it's a biological imperative? Or do you think it's, I mean, I think that there's like a. I don't think that it's culturally ingrained. I think that it's a product of uh, some biology, some parenting. But I don't think, I, I guess I should say. Culture starts pretty early. Let me back this up, though, the culture thing. It probably depends on where you're from. Uh, I'm sure it depends on where you're from. But I don't think. Which is cultural. A, a, it is cultural. <laughs> but I'm saying I don't think there's a global or even across the united states uh you know push cultural push for boys to posture um, well then girls posture now too you know i mean like i don't think it's like gender I, I think specific. that there is a biological aspect to it um 
I guess what I'm thinking is the people I feel like that are constantly posturing and prove and like trying to prove themselves, I get the sense that they you know, it's like, man, like we just not told that you were good enough by your parents. Uh we're you know or maybe we're, they were told they were too good. Like it's it's the kind of thing like if your mom told you you were pretty all the time, what was um what was the F. Scott Fitzgerald autobiography? You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. He wrote a it's not an autobiography, but it is um it's before um I can just tell you right now. It's um uh, it's the Algernon. It was not Flowers for Algernon. It's uh, I'm gonna I'm actually gonna look this up. But um <laughs> there's this whole deal where he so he wrote a book that was viewed to be as autobiographical, but it is using characters that are not him. Um this side of paradise. All right. All right. And uh I have not read it. Yeah, it's I the thing that I remember about it was that um the main character, which is notionally himself, is um good God. Characters. It's Amory. I, that's I'm pretty sure that's the dude. But he has a name that his mom gave him. And so he has like these two selves. One is this person whose mother's constantly been like super smart and super handsome and everyone should love you. And then the other side is like the real him, which is insecure and uncertain and not good enough. And like no matter how much the formative people in your life tell you that you're good enough, like until you've demonstrated it and you feel it, you don't believe those people. A hundred percent. I mean, we all deal with issues of insecurity, but what I'm saying is that, uh, that doesn't necessarily have to come through as posturing, right? No, I guess not. I think a lot of that is, uh, so I guess this, to dive even deeper is, are the personality traits that we have as, you know, in our adolescent years that we develop into adulthood, are they compensation, are they compensatory methods for innate like experience and innate plot I characteristics. Feel, I feel like more research points to those things being formed at a much younger age. You know that by the time you're like four or five or six years old now, that your personality is basically you know ninety percent fixed. fixed, right? So everything else is just a compensation. I don't know if it's so. A, some people I mean, compensate by posturing. Some I don't people know if concentrate. It's a compensation, but what I'm saying is that the experiences that will lead to whether you're you know posturing or compensating are probably happening before maybe you even know how to speak. Is it better to posture and compensate that way than it is to hold it all inside and then bottle up in a movie theater with like six guns? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, I mean, it's definitely better, but, you know... I don't think that they're necessarily mutually... Like, it's not like if you don't do no, one, you well, do I the other. I also think there's like a shared element of like, for example, I was in New York with a colleague entertaining a client and I like how vague you've been about this, which leads me to believe that there there are going to be personally damning incidents that we will blame on someone we've created. Uh, no, I mean this is Frank. <laughs> wink, <laughs> wink. No, man. Um, there was a there was a guy that came to this like big event that we did, and not Aaron Woman. No, okay. uh, a, a customer. Yeah, exactly. Actually, a guy that worked for one of our mm-hmm. customers. <laughs> And he introduced himself, his first name started with an R, and he introduced himself as a rocket. That was like his nickname. Did he give it to himself? So Please tell me he gave it to himself. I'm guessing yes. that he did after the end. This the guy. <laughs> after dinner, he's like, let's go out, get some drinks. We didn't really want to, but kind of, okay, whatever. We're, that's what we're here I'm for. I'm very familiar with that social pressure. Right. We did come here to suck this guy's dick, so I can't just tell him no one wants to get drinks with him. Right. So we get in a cab, go into this bar, and the whole time he's talking to us about how fuck this chick last night and like Which know, we all know isn't true. For hours and hours yep. and hours. We also and, know that's not true. And she's telling him that he's the most amazing lady. She's I'm like Also know that's not true. I met you <laughs> fucking thirty minutes ago and you're telling me this shit. I know it's bullshit, right? Yep. Um that Veronica Vaughn. Yeah. She is <laughs> one hot piece of ace. I know from experience, man. Dude, we get to the bar and, you know, we're at this like, it was, it was even more of like a club than a bar. Anyway, fucking smoke show bartender. Navy SEALs right? have a hard time differentiating between the two, so I'm glad you clarified. Thanks. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what the, the inference from that comment is, but in any event, 
Um, what? Go right ahead. Just doing phallic things with 20 millimeter rounds. All right. Continue. So we get to the bar and he's like, yeah, you see that bartender over there? 30 millimeter rounds. He's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, yeah, I fucked her. He's like, but don't say anything to her. I'm like, <laughs> first yes. of all, man, I'm like, I know you didn't fuck her. And second of all, why would I fucking say something to her even if you did? Hey, you fucked but- that dude? You, f- you get on this dick too? <laughs> My p- <laughs> kind, of the, kind of the thing that he would do, right? Totally. But if you had I been guess- like, man, I fucked that bartender, and he'd been like, shit, I could get some of that too. But my point is that there is a psychological issue there where that guy's like not living in reality, right? Uh, I'm not saying it's linked to people that would go into a movie theater and shoot a bunch of people up, but like. Is it a dissonance or is this how, how guy, he is establishing power? I don't know, but like he must know somewhere. That, that everyone knows that he doesn't, that he hasn't. That he's just talking shit and everyone realizes it. Or if he doesn't, I think that indicates like some level of like mental disorder that is really not normal. I don't know. I feel like you're attributing too much to it. I feel like this guy, this is absolutely a coping mechanism with feeling this dude on a subconscious level knows that none of you want to hang out with him. He also knows that he has to establish social capital, which he's trying to do by being like, I fucked that chick and I fucked that chick. And because it is something that that engenders a response, he is not smart enough to read that the response is Patronizing. This is a guy that's very intelligent. Is he right? though? I mean, I don't know. He's very smart. Like, was he? Yeah, yeah. He just had a lot of money, right? Are we, tr- went, are we conflating no, no, wealth? Went to an Ivy League school. Did that's well. Not um, necessarily proof of being intelligent. Doesn't necessarily have to be proof of being intelligent. But I'm saying he was not a comes a, from a good family. But a, inbreeding had watered his intelligence. Not down. a book stupid person. Let's put it that way. High, highly skilled in math, but socially inept. So maybe a little Aspergery. Okay. I don't know. Um, I a, have mm, recently found out that Asperger's is no longer a diagnosis. There was, uh, here, another story. Kid that went to high school with us or with me that I went to high school with, whatever the, the way to say that. <laughs> I don't know what the grammatically correct answer to that is. I don't know either. I'm Brian, from Texas. Brian, Brian can correct it. Um, this dude I knew. <laughs> his dad, senior year, bought a Mitsubishi 3000 GT VR4. Which we like those. That, I don't like it. Um, I like those. Right. We being the royal we, fuck you. Fine. <laughs> that was a cool car back then. He wasn't. It was a cool car. He wasn't allowed to drive it. Yeah, because it was a cool car. He went to go visit the University of Iowa with his parents. Comes back. Hey, man, how was the visit? Dude, you'll never believe what happened. We're driving out to the University of Iowa. We just crossed the border. In the VR4. Yeah, just crossed the border. Seems impractical for a road trip. Definitely did not happen. <laughs> um <laughs> Dude, this guy's dad was like so concerned about this car that there's no fucking way they would like. It was like the Porsche from fucking Ferris yeah, Bueller. I mean, you know, anyway. He loves the car more than he loves his son. So, fallacy one. Which, by the way, if you care about a Mitsubishi, any Mitsubishi more than your offspring, you're clearly a fuckhead. I, uh, fair enough. <laughs> um, any Japanese made car. The parents were tired, according to the story. So they let him drive. So they let him drive. They both had fallen asleep. He sp- got the car up to 185 miles an hour, which, like, I don't even think it goes that fast, right? Maybe. Fact check. Maybe not. <laughs> I, I would, the speedometer said it, motherfucker. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I would guess that it was it was limited to lower than that. I want to know now. All right. Keep he going. Gets clocked by Iowa State Troopers. They try to chase him down, but they can't. Can't catch him. Because he's going so fast, right? So they send a helicopter. Ooh, but you outrun. All right. No. Th- so the helicopter lands in the middle of the highway and he- it's, uh, it's only at 320 horsepower. Continue telling your story. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> parents don't wake up during all this, right? So there's a helicopter now blocking the highway. Cop cars finally caught up, catch up with him. Does he get arrested? No. Why? Because he tells the troopers that he's going to visit university of Iowa and they're so excited for him doing this. <laughs> That they wish him well on his visit. This is the and, best story I've ever heard. <laughs> and let him go. The helicopter flies away. Cop cars drive off. Parents don't wake up and are none the wiser. Do you know what so, year? Do we know what year three thousand GTVR four this could be? This would have been like a ninety three or ninety four. Okay. Well, it's safe to say that the top speed, as documented on the internet, is one hundred and sixty miles an hour. I would have guessed one fifty five. He must have put nitrous on it. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, my you point is get that, it, like, bro. you tell that story to someone, and you're telling it to them with a straight face. Literally none of these things happened. Literally none of these things happened. Not only did they not happen, it's not even realistic within a long shot to think that any of those things would have happened, right? But something's fucked up in that person's mind to think that I'm going to like tell you the story, you're going to be impressed by it, and, and think it's true. Do you think that they thought that far ahead? They must. I mean, he. Do you think that he started down telling a story and realized it was a dumb story? And then, in order to save face, he fell backwards down a hole of telling more and more intricate lies, trying to make it sound believable until it was satisfactorily gnarled up and unintelligible. He's like, eh, put a period on that and call it a story. I don't think so, man. But. Anyway, Do you say so you my, think that that kid ripped the wings off of that, butterflies as a kid? Uh, I don't think that's true. But I think that uh, my point is that that is a, a level of posturing, right? Like, why would you tell that story? You want other people to think that you're super cool. I would love to tell you that I never said things like that. But then I'm confronted with people that I knew from my past. They tell mm. me stories that I told them, and I realized that I had lied to them through my teeth about things that were, like, totally unimportant. Yeah. When I was in Africa in high school and I talked to people that I was in high school with in Africa and like they laugh now like we're all adults. I'm somewhat self-aware when they tell me that I apparently told all the people I went to school with that my father was a CIA agent. I have no idea why I would have told that story. <laughs> None. People tell me that they're like, yeah, man, we thought you we thought it was super weird that an American kid was at our school in Zimbabwe and you know, and you're like, Oh yeah, it's totally weird. My dad's a CIA agent, we can't talk about it. Dude, and I'm like <clears throat> In second grade we had to make these uh like we had to draw a picture of what our parents did for work. Yeah. And my dad was an endodontist, he did root canals. For some reason I was like really embarrassed <laughs> by that. I thought that it was a super nerdy thing. That everyone else wouldn't think that it was cool. Yeah. Right. So professional race car driver, professional gambler. So yes. I drew a picture of him at a poker table with like all these like like women and like you know like bras and shit like standing around. <laughs> <laughs> Please and tell me that your dad still has this. He doesn't. That is amazing. He did get a call from the school uh, from the teacher being like, "Yeah, so we're concerned about things at home." Um, yeah, and it was. I don't know what motivates that kind of stuff. Like I routinely, I love it. But when Greg Higgs came in and yeah. we were talking about like fab fours and he's like, Oh, I don't know if I could say bad stuff about Doug. Please do man. Please talk about how I was my freshman year in college because I love being like, Oh shit, man. First of all, it's great to know I've come this far. Dude, it's good Secondly, to- 10 years from now, I'm going to look back you at all to- of this stuff that we've documented on this podcast. And I'm going to be like, God damn it, that was an embarrassing time. <laughs> you have to be able to own it, man. You have to be able to own it. So I definitely, this was not done, this was done more as a joke because I actually didn't think people would believe it, but I got so tired of my like running into my parents' friends the summer after senior year of college and not knowing what I was doing yet. And everyone, oh, what are you doing? Like, I don't fucking know. I'm a bum. I smoke a lot of weed. I'm uncertain about how I'm going to make it in this world. Stop asking me unpleasant questions. I was very unhappy. I was waiting tables at this like white tablecloth restaurant, and I had no experience waiting tables. The only thing I had done previous to that in college was work the door of bars and going. So you weren't exactly a sommelier or anything. But the, it was a 180 degree change going from being like, you know what? You got a problem. It's your fucking problem. Yeah. Fuck you. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. To being like, hey, let me fucking. Sir, madam, let me have your jacket. Yeah, exactly. Let me dust these crumbs off of here. Yeah, you're totally unhappy. I understand. I will fix it right away. This is all my um, fault, clearly. <laughs> yes. That sucked. Uh, and so I started telling people because I didn't know what to say anymore. I was like, you know, I don't know. I just, you know, I felt, I felt shitty about myself really what did you say i started telling people that i was a knight in medieval times that's and, kind of a cool job actually i bet yeah and uh people were impressed but nobody goes to medieval times so no one was ever going to catch you in that line even if they went they wouldn't know yeah because you were dressed up like a knight exactly i'm the blue knight um, on tuesdays but my dad started getting upset he's like dude i'm running all these people <laughs> that say you were medieval times tell me how awesome it is <laughs> that you're a fucking knight at medieval times um so i switched to monster truck driver and which i am certain made your dad feel even better no and then <laughs> then i got a real job so 
but sort of. I feel like your real job didn't take off until your real job took off, right? Like, um, I don't, it was not a cool job so at first, was it? It was very interesting. Was um, it? It wasn't a cool job in the sense that, like, I don't. You weren't I, making money. No, there's. I don't think there's any job that you you start from day one and it's like this is the fucking dude, like this is the man, right? Except working at Sunfleet. Um, that was pretty much that's the case. We started I'm like, what are we gonna do? I don't know. Whatever we want to do, Jeff, film me naked. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That was uh, different in the sense that we got to do whatever we want to do, but none of us were high performers. Well, we had no idea what we were doing. We were high performing at we were not, high performing at, at, at nothing. We, we, we were didn't high know. performing at. It we, doing nothing. we were all very happy. We were happy. I'm not talking. You're conflating happiness with being, <laughs> high, being performers. A high performer. <laughs> um, no, man. I mean, I think yeah. After college, I went to work on the floor, of the trading like the exchanges in Chicago and the trading pits, which was an awesome experience. Um, it was you know a very low paying job. I got treated like shit. I worked for a lot of guys. The first day of work, but you had this new place. You had like uh, social capital at that point too. It was a job that you could tell people you did, and people thought it was cooler than it actually was, right? Uh, yeah. Kind of sure. like when when Raven's talking about going to law school, and Brian and I are like, "Don't do it! All lawyers hate their job. All of them. No lawyers are happy." And she's like, "But it's the kind of job that, like, if I tell people that I'm a lawyer, they'll think that that's and, the wrong and we're like, reason." No, 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 no. I, man, I've, yeah. I've we've had discussions about this. Uh, there were so a couple things. One, um. The first day of work, all right, I show up to this office. The dude that ran the office was the shorter guy, but like very intense. And I go up at the end of the day, and this was like all the trading, all the traders would get like these like risk reports showing all their, their trading positions, like printed out by the clerks. And they're making trades in the pits, and the clerks are like entering that shit into the computer. It's a very like antiquated way of doing things now. And they still do it that way, right? No. Okay. Everything's like all computerized oh. now. Um, in fact, the trading pits like barely even exist anymore because everything's um, done over the internet. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, this guy had fucked up. I mean, if, so if you fuck up entering the, the details, then the, the guy, the traders are making decisions off of bad, bad intel, yep. right? Not only that, but like when you fuck something up, if you reverse it, it, then it's doubly fucked up. Right. So like if you think you bought eight of something, and instead, I would say you sold eight. You're off by 16. You're not off by eight. Yeah. Right? So <clears throat> in any event, this guy had totally fucked something up. Sometimes when you fuck things up, it ends up being in your favor. 90% of the time, <laughs> fucking Murphy's Law, right? Yeah. It ends up like not being in your favor. And uh, the guy that ran the company took this clerk and we, you know, we all wore these like gold colored, like yellow gold colored blazers, blazers that yes. were like the clerk jacks, jer- clerk jackets at the Mercantile Exchange Jerk in Chicago. Clackets. Yeah. And uh, this guy was wearing like a button down shirt underneath, and uh, which was like dressier. Most people wore t shirts, and um, he fucking ripped open this guy's button down shirt like in the middle. Oh, I all right, this crumpled story. up the paper, shoved it into his shirt. Dragged him over to the window of our like 16th story office and was like, if you ever fuck this up again, I will fucking throw you through this window. Um, I was like, that is an wow. empty promise. Like, I want to see it happen. Oh, totally empty promise. <laughs> but I was like, wow, man, like this is fucking real. So in any event, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with this, but basically was- just saying that like the job that people, people attribute a cool factor to something. Like you basically found a job that had like terrible benefits and oh, questionable but, but pay. I was, I was really interested in it. Yeah, and, and the, it and, gave you opportunity, right? Right. And so here's what I was going to say because of the thing, the lawyer comment. The people that showed up that were excited to like be a trader, that, like they were like, I want the world to know that the I'm guys a with cards, the guys with business cards. Yeah, I've said this before. Yep. The guys that showed up and they're like, here's my business. Like when I become a trader, I already got my business card printed out. You ain't never going to make it. Those dudes never fucking made it. You know, I'm sure it's like the same. Like, I don't know if this happened. Like, did dudes buy like a Green Beret or fucking like Special Forces step? It's a cursed thing and it doesn't happen. I mean, opinions vary. All right. I had a drive on tab that was safety pinned into the inside brim of my patrol cover. You told me about that. That's, That's totally different. Brian gave it to me and it meant a lot to me in. 
And you know what? Like I still have that and I carried it the whole Q course and it meant a lot to me even more because I got kicked out of the Q course and came back, which is like, you know, like however you feel about it as an SF guy, like, yeah, I super fucked up. I bounced back. I came back. I squared myself away. I like to think I'm an asset now, but because my road, my road was longer than most, I attribute a lot more personal value to the process. Um, a lot of people will say like, well, man, maybe you didn't belong. And I'm like, cool, you can feel that way if you want. But for me, there's a lot of value in it. But what I'm saying is if, you, there's, a, if there's a guy who's like, hey, man, I already bought the hat. I already bought the tabs or whatever. Um, oh, yeah. Like, My uniform is set up and ready for graduation. Yeah, the, Said no dude, dude got like, ever made it. Like, Every dude that that graduates, like you have your blank dress uniform that is given to you that like has all of your like previous unit or like basic training, nothing on it. And it sits in your closet. And then like you are forced by some sergeant major the day before graduation or two days before for inspection to go and get it all done right. And the whole time you're like, fuck dude, fuck dude, fuck dude. I'm putting this special forces tab on this thing and this is it this next 48 hours i'm gonna but get a dui i'm gonna i'm gonna bang some chick who's married to a sf sergeant major who didn't tell me like i couldn't see her wedding band suntan line and it's all gonna come crashing down in the next 48 hours did you see that amazing uh army twitter meme that's going around oh no did the did did the army army post it um I mean, we can. We'll, oh, dude, for sure, I did see that. That was great. Uh, anyway, I. But my point, like, if there were guys like in the Q course that had like special forces stickers on the back of their cars, or you know, like they, before they going to like SFAS, they like, existed. Um, I, I would, don't want. I would guess that I don't a lot wanna, of those guys. I don't want to name drop. Making it. I don't want to name drop, but I am pretty sure now. The person I'm going to implicate. Actually, I'm not going to implicate them by name because they can rip my arms off and beat me to death with them. But there is a person that we both know who may or may not have had a special forces license plate frame that he used to put on his car after he left Bragg, the first gas stop (laughs) on the way back to Texas. Every time we got leave was was a swaparuski of the license plate frame to the special forces license plate frame. That really surprises me. No, not me, but it also was really funny. I don't know him as well as you do. When someone has that much physical prowess, they do what they fucking want. That's fine. But I'm saying from a a character standpoint. Uh, I don't, I never knew what to think of it because I was like, well, not saying shit about this. You know what I mean? I know, but I mean, said every other SF guy said, every cop said, every, (laughs) said every human on the face of the earth. Fuck that. I'm going to ignore it. (laughs) You know what I mean? We'll give it to him. It's all good, man. Uh, I don't ever think we always knew either. You know what I mean? Like as long as it wasn't a tab. Sure. Guys were like, well, no, no, but my point is it's really more about the, I want to be the title than do the job. Right. Yeah, yeah, and so I think that if you're going after something because of the title, you want people to know. I want people to know that like I'm cool because they can call me X. That's I not am unembarrassed to to absolutely own the fact that much of the motivation behind me becoming a special forces guy was a desire to prove to a lot of people who didn't think I could do it that I was something. That's more. totally different. I think. I think in terms close. of like, try, uh, I disagree. I wanted to be seen as something that I was not quite sure I was. You know what I mean? Like in retrospect, now I definitely feel like as an, like I am. I was born to be and was molded from a very young age to be a so quality. Did you not SF give guy. a shit at all about the job? You just wanted to. I look didn't cool. know what the job was really. I mean, I had an idea, but I think we all have a skewed job of what uh, idea of what the job is. You know, like I sure I definitely but, wanted to wear sunglasses. <laughs> I wanted to wear the uniform. While having my hands in my pockets, while having long hair, while wearing cool guy sunglasses up on top of my head, and I never... yeah, but you had a genuine interest in like being in the military, yeah, and doing military. I had things. an idea that the mission, like foreign internal defense and unconventional warfare, was something I wanted to do. But right. also, dude, people the whole time I was in the Q course were shitting on me because all you want to do is wear sunglasses and be the cool guy, and I'm like, man, like, and they weren't wrong. That is definitely something I wanted right, to do. Well then you're you are an outlier. I guess I, I I think that everyone should own. I think that that part of that exists in everybody. The thing is, the difference between the dude who shows up with a business card and the dude who has the exact same motivations that doesn't have a business card is that the dude who doesn't have the business card has a degree of humility 
and self-awareness and questions whether he'll make it, which drives him to work harder and do better. That's the guy who has the card assumes that everything's going to work out for him because his dad also has a small dick and a lot of money and has told him he's handsome and given him a Corvette already. And he's like, this is for me. This is my job. Everyone else will recognize it too, you know? And you were like, shit, my dad is not a professional gambler. <laughs> like, I, have, I think my life was better because of it. Oh, I guess. But a, if your dad had been a professional gambler, that'd be pretty damn cool. So That would have been cool. Yeah. But I think. Uh, I could see your dad as a professional gambler and now. Maybe maybe blackjack, not poker. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've been in here longer than we expected. Um, let's wrap this up. And, and on another totally meaningless bottom of the barrel podcast. Um, and remember, you can't sit with us. <laughs>